When we got Mark chapter 9, if you could let me know something, coming out of the English Standard Version, verse 42. It says, whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to sin, it would be better for him if a great millstone were hung around his neck and he were thrown into the sea. And if your hand causes you to sin, cut it off. It is better for you to enter life crippled than with two hands to go to hell, to the unquenchable fire. And if your foot causes you to sin, cut it off. It is better for you to enter life lame than with two feet to be thrown into hell. And if your eye causes you to sin, tear it out. It is better for you to enter the kingdom of God with one eye than with two eyes be thrown into hell where the worm does not die and the fire is not quenched. For everyone will be salted with fire. Salt is good, but if salt has lost its saltiness, how will you make it salty again? Have salt in yourselves and be at peace with one another. Lord Jesus, thank you for the word. I pray that you would help me to preach and communicate it clearly and accurately. I pray that you would encourage us today to pursue you, to seek your face in every facet of our life. I pray, Lord Jesus, that you would convict us in our sin, in our error, so that we will repent and that we will come back to you, give our hearts to you, and to live in a way that's pleasing in your sight. Help us to humble ourselves this morning so that we could hear a word from your scriptures that you inspired. We ask that you will be glorified this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. All right, I need one adult volunteer, preferably somebody that's tall. Mark, you tall enough. Come on. I need like six kids. The goal, kiddos, is to hit the 200. I got that dartboard yesterday. Me and my kids were playing with it. It was so much fun. We ain't done nothing like that ever, really. I don't think we ever had no dartboard or nothing. But there's a reason why uh, I just did that little illustration. Lift it up a little higher. There you go. Can everybody see the board? Yeah. All right. This bullseye where it says 200 points, this represents God's standard. This represents what God requires from his people. That makes sense? So if you're a disciple of Jesus Christ, or if you're not, doesn't matter. God says, here's where you should be aiming for. The rest of this represents a deviation from God's standard. So this is God's standard. Everything else represents a deviation from that. Everybody got me? Stay up there for a minute, Mark. So... In the scriptures, we open up our Old Testament, you're going to see the word sin there. That word sin in the English is translated from the Hebrew word chata, which means to miss the mark. To miss the mark. Now, that's an open-ended question because it doesn't tell you much about what the mark is that's being missed. It just says that whatever that mark is, whenever chata is being committed, a mark is being missed, right? So what exactly is the mark that's being missed? This is the mark. When we get outside of there, we're missing the mark, right? In the New Testament, we have the English word sin, but it's translated from the Greek word harmatios, which means to deviate or to depart from the divine standard of righteousness. To deviate or to depart from the divine standard of righteousness. To put it plainly, God has a standard of righteousness. He determines what's good, what's evil, what's right, and what's wrong. And he says, here's where we should be aiming for. Whenever men fall short of that standard, the Hebrew speakers called that chata, the Greek speakers called it harmatios, and we call it sin. Everybody rolling with me? So when you saw the children aiming for the bullseye, and they kept missing, 
What they were doing was committing chata. They were falling short of the standard that God has established as holiness. But was it the angel who hit the? When she hit the center, she achieved the standard of righteousness that God has said we must walk in that. So what have we learned so far? To miss the mark is what the Bible calls sin, right? And sin is to, to deviate or to depart from whatever God's righteous standard of holiness is. Y'all with me? Mark, you stick with me for a little bit. Mark going to be my, my sermon partner for a little bit. <laughs> when man sin, what they're really telling God is, I know better than you. Here's what sin is. Sin is when God says go up and we go down. When God says go left and we go right. When God says be quiet and we keep speaking. When God says open up your mouth and speak and we keep silent. That's called sin. The book of Peter puts it this way. Peter says... All unrighteousness is sin. The book of 1 John puts it this way. He says sin is the transgression of the law. What is the law? It is when God says this is right, this is wrong. Whenever that law is broken, God calls it sin. Mark, you can take a seat. Sin is like the hypothetical husband whose wife tells him, uh, my love language is acts of service. If you want to love me, says the wife, serve me. Help me with the groceries. Help me get a meal prepared. Help me with these babies. Help me change a diaper. Help me clean up and organize the house. Help me get the homework graded. Like the wife tells the husband, that is my love language. So that is the standard that I have established that determines the right way to love me and the wrong way to love me. That's her standard, right? The husband comes into the house and he hears what his wife's standard is. But despite knowing his wife's standard, Husband takes it upon himself to go to Jared's. <laughs> That's where I went. <laughs> go to Jared's and he gets his wife this $2,000 diamond ring. Why? Because Marilyn Monroe said diamonds are a girl's best friend. <laughs> So he grabs these diamonds, this diamond ring from Jared's, and he brings it home to his wife. And he's expecting a certain reaction from her. He's expecting excitement, an embrace, a hug, a kiss, love, appreciation. But instead, he gets a stale face. He don't get no hug. He get a couch for the evening, if you know what I'm talking about. <laughs> Why is wife rejecting husband's gift? Wife has already established, this is how I need to be loved by you. I need acts of service. Diamond ring comes into the house. She's not blinded by the diamond ring. She's blinded by screaming babies, dirty diapers, disorganized home, and chaos that she's holding down by herself. Her standard was established, but husband deviated from it. Now wife doesn't feel love, and she rejects the gift. Now what would make the husband 
deliberately deviate from his wife's standard when she told him she gave him the cheat sheet on how to get brownie points. What would make a man purposely deviate from that? I'll answer that question with a proverb. Proverbs 14 says, there is a way that seems right to a man, but in the end it leads to death. Proverbs 12 says, the way of the fool is right in his own eyes, but the wise man always seeks counsel. Husband says, I know better. She says acts of service, but you're not turning down $2,000 diamond ring. It was right in his own eyes, but it fell short of the standard. That's what the Bible calls sin. The Bible says that every man has done it. In fact, 1 John says, if you say you haven't done it, you're a liar and the truth is not in you. Paul puts it this way. He says, every man have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. The prophet Jeremiah said, the heart is evil and desperately wicked. Who can understand it? Moses says in the book of Genesis that the thoughts and intentions of the human heart is wicked from the youth up. No matter what book of the Bible you pick, you're going to end up with the same sermon. Sin is wrong. It separates us from God, and everybody does it. In our text today, Jesus wants to talk to us about the dangers of sin. Not only does he want to talk to us about the danger of sin, he wants to encourage us to do whatever we can to remove any and everything out of our life that is causing us to miss the mark. I'm calling today's message Desperate Measures because Jesus' standard of righteousness is so high where he says the only way for us to walk in his standard is to go to extreme and desperate measures to remove everything out of our life. That's a stumbling block. Mark, the ninth chapter, the 42nd verse. He says, whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to sin, it would be better for him if a great millstone were hung around his neck and he were thrown into the sea. <clears throat> now, those are some pretty graphic words that Jesus just used there. So let's explain what he means. He says, whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to sin. First question is. Who are the little ones? Two ways we can interpret this. Both are actually right. The nearest connection to the term little one comes earlier in the chapter where Jesus is specifically talking about kids. Literal children. Okay, So he's saying these literal children in the Ju Jerusalem, Judea community, these little children who believe in me, I love them. In fact, the Bible says, I believe it's in the book of Luke, that Jesus took the children and he sat them on his lap and blessed them. Man, could you imagine being one of them kids? I sat in God's lap today. <laughs> he, he loved the children and, and he's saying these little ones, not just little ones in general, but these ones who believe in me. He's specifying who he's talking about. He says, whoever causes them to stumble. Now, what does he mean cause them to sin? He says, anybody who sees a young child who believe in me and they are doing things that is setting them up for sin, that's tempting.
tempting them to sin, that's leading them towards sin, he says there's going to be problems for that person. So the little ones are talking about children, right? But in a broader sense, the little ones refer to every believer. Jesus referred to his 12 apostles as little children. If you read 1 John, uh, the apostle John refers to the church that he was writing to as my little children. See, from, from God's perspective, we are children. So the direct correlation is kids, but we can apply it to everybody. Long as you believe in him. He says, if you cause a little one to stumble, he says, you'll be better off having a boulder tied around your neck and cast into the bottom of the sea. What is he saying? You would be better off dying a slow and miserable demise than to cause one of these young believers to fall away from me. Now, as I was preparing this, having three children myself, I couldn't help but start to consider ways or things in life that could cause them to stumble. Because he's talking about people who caused them to stumble. What are some examples in our culture today of people causing our little ones to stumble? Here's one. Television. That's about to get real uncomfortable. television. My son, Simeon, loves to watch Sesame Street. He loves it when the Elmo song comes on and he does a little hop dance. <laughs> if he's having a bad day, all we got to do is just turn on some Elmo, some Sesame Street. He'll be fine. We're watching Sesame Street one day where I wasn't there, but my wife tells me, hey, we had an issue on Sesame Street today. Now I say, now wait a minute. Hold on, Satan. You don't mess with Big Bird and them like, I didn't grow up off Sesame Street. I ain't never had no problems with Sesame Street. You going too far, Satan. <laughs> There's an episode on Sesame Street called Family Day. In Family Day, it is the time where they indoctrinate the children that it doesn't matter if you have two mommies or two daddies. Long as we all love each other, it's right. And there's this, just this, this clear push to try to train up the children to believe that God did not distinctively make males one way and females the other way. Now, when you hear these type of things mentioned by people who are in my position, it makes people in, out here very uncomfortable. And here's why. Hate speech, homophobia, and we go on and on and on with the bigoting accusations and all of that. So, so let, let me just make one thing clear real quick. The reason I address these things is because the Bible addresses these things. If I did not find it in here, you would never hear me talk about it. That's the first point. Second point is this. Homosexual activity is just one of several deviations from God's law. You have all type of forms of sexual immorality that are mentioned in the Bible. Homosexuality is just one of them. Therefore, all of them should be equally talked about. That's my next point. My third point is this. We would be naive and gullible not to see that in the culture there is one sexual sin that is being pushed more than every other one. I'm not doing it. They doing it. So we have to spend some time explaining what the Bible says about these things so that we don't, remember the dartboard, 
begin to deviate from God's standard. So I'm watching this, and I'm seeing that they're, they're trying to indoctrinate my children. So now we have to have a talk with our kids, which is good. We should do that. We teach them what the Bible says and how to recognize error when you see it. So TV is no longer safe. I remember about a year ago, I was getting my kids into the shows that I grew up watching. So I'm like, hey, man, y'all check out Ninja Turtles, right? So I threw in the Ninja Turtles cartoon from the 80s, early 90s, and they was into it, right? And I'm like, yo, 80s and 90s, I ain't even got to be in the room with them. I could leave them unattended and watch this, right? <laughs> right? I'm upstairs. And both my sons run up. This is a proud dad moment for me. They said, Daddy, you won't believe what happened. I said, what happened? We had to change to the next episode of Ninja Turtles. I'm like, why? Because we saw Michelangelo dressing like a woman. And the Bible says, man should be a man and a woman should be a woman. So we turn to the next episode and we just coming up here to tell you what we saw and we did the right thing. Now I could have cried when the boy told me that. Because <laughs> I say, okay, me and, and my wife, sometimes we always wrestle and we go back to the drawing board and we say, God, are we being too strict? But what that showed me was, no, we got to keep telling them these things so that when they see it out in the world, they'll be able to make an informed decision. TV ain't safe no more. And it's indoctrinating our kids. Not only television, but social media. Causing our kids to stumble, right? Here's something that's causing our kids to stumble. When our children are spending hours on TikTok. When TikTok is designed to do what Jesus says it's going to be hell for. Let, let, me, let me say that again. Understand something, y'all. I told you it's going to get, listen, it's going to get real uncomfortable. Okay? Just put that out there now. You're going to hear some hard teaches today. That's going to make me look like a fundamentalist extremist. But I don't care. I love you anyway. Understand this. These corporations, Instagram, TikTok, you name it, these are not built by disciples. These are built by sinners. Why is that significant? 1 John 5, 19 says the whole world is under the power of Satan. That's what the Bible says. So if you are under the power of the devil, what are you going to produce? Things like TikTok. Things like Instagram. Not saying they're inherently wrong, but I'm going to show you what the issue is. When you create, when, when you're in, influenced by Satan and you create and produce these things, guess what? You have no filter or desire whatsoever to protect children or any other believer from walking in ungodliness. They're there to get this. Okay, so here's what we need to understand. When the child watches that all day, we think, oh, it's just a silly dance move. Oh, these are just harmless dances, right? TikTok, TikTok challenge. What we don't think about is that that TikTok dance is not being done to no sound. There's a song in the background. And that song is going to teach the young boys to demonize women and to treat them like trash. To not marry women, but to treat them like pieces of meat. To degrade them. And it's going to teach the young girls to be sexually promiscuous. I mean, I, I could just put up lyrics on the screen to some of our favorite songs we sing in the culture today that our children dance to. And guess what? They're hearing this. Oh, but it's okay. They're just learning to dance. I've taught them better. I've already told them not to listen to that. But they're hearing that. And guess what? Now it's getting into their subconscious. You ever go to sleep? And wake up and the song is in your head and you have no idea where it came from. 
How does that happen? You were probably at the grocery store getting your groceries. And on that PA system, there was a song playing that in your subconscious, you were hearing it, but you didn't realize it. So when you get home, you're singing the song. Now think about a child who all day, they, they own these, these sites, that are created for adults, <laughs> right? Created for adults. They're on that all day. And they're hearing this music. And they're seeing the, the sexually explicit nature of the videos. And what we're doing in our culture today, we just leave our kids in front of that stuff all day and wonder why they're stumbling. Just think about that. If you sit somebody, let's say you got somebody who loves alcohol. And you sit them here and you say, do not drink that alcohol. But you put the bottle right in front of them. Saying, I want you to stare at this bottle of alcohol all day, but don't drink it. What we're really doing is setting them up for failure. So here's what ends up happening. The text says, whoever causes one of these little ones to believe in me to sin, it'll be judgment for them. And our mind only goes to the unbeliever who's causing the little one to stumble. But what if we are causing our children to stumble? What if we're part of the problem? I'm telling you, I'm reading this. Sometimes I read the Bible, it gets so convicted, I want to just close it and not read it. Because I'm scared to look at myself. What have I done in front of my kids? What, is there anything I've done that may have set them up and I don't even realize it? We're going to keep going. Proverbs, the first chapter. Chantrice, can we get that on the screen? My son, if sinners entice you, do not consent. If they say, come with us, let us lie and wait for blood. Let us ambush the innocent without reason. Like Sheol, let us swallow them alive and whole like those who go down to the pit. We shall find all precious goods. We shall fill our houses with plunder. Throw in your lot among us. We will all have one purse. My son, do not walk in the way with them. Hold back your foot from your paths. Solomon says, my son, he's saying, he begins the proverb. We didn't read it, but if you begin the proverb, he's saying, I want you to take hold of your mother and your father's teaching. And he begins to give his son wisdom, right? The main wisdom is when sinners entice you, don't consent, don't follow them. My kids in the room today, my teenagers especially, but all the children, here's what you're going to have in school. You're going to have sinners enticing you, trying to cause you to stumble. That's their whole purpose. Hey, let's come make fun of this kid whose clothes we don't like. Here, come over here. Let's go pick on this person who ain't got no friends and we know we can get away with it. Hey, let's, let's cut class today. Hey, let's do this. Let, let's, go, let's go record a fight and then upload it online and make fun of people. That, that's called causing little ones to stumble. The proverb says, here's how you deal with this young child if they entice you. Do not consent. Don't Walk in the way with them. Psalm 1 puts it this way. It says, blessed is he who does not walk in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stand in the way of sinners, nor seat in the seat of scoffers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord. And on his law, he meditates on it day and night. You don't have to be an adult to do that. If you say you believe Jesus, then let's believe Jesus. But if you don't believe them, then just let your position be made known. I'm talking to kids. This is how the Bible addresses. See, what we do in our culture, we baby our kids too much. And I'm talking to myself. The scripture talks to them like they know better. Ephesians chapter 6 addresses children directly. That means that the children were in the sermon when it was being preached in the primitive church. So I have to speak to you directly. If your classmates are trying to get you to sin, go the opposite way. You have a responsibility. Now, 
This is not just about children. It's about us. It's about adults. Sometimes people will cause us to stumble. Relatives. Family members. Friends. Co-workers. Significant others. You ever had that one family member that come into town, that one friend? <laughs> and as soon as they get there, you switch up. <laughs> like, as soon as you pick them up from the airport. Next thing you know, you roll in the, <laughs> like, I ain't smoked weed in six months. Now, all of a sudden, I want to go get high. I haven't cussed all day. Notice I gave that a brief amount of time. Y'all know how we be. I ain't cussed all day. <laughs> now, all of a sudden, I got all type of profanity because of the, the company we're around now. We'd be single and celibate. Then that one ex come back. And we know good and well, this is bad news. This is bad business. But we allow them to cause us to stumble. Adults, we do this. So what's the solution? That's the question. Here's the thing. The text in Mark doesn't give us a specific solution for this, but I thank you. I thank God that uh, the book of Mark ain't the only book we have in our Bible because we got answers in here. Let me get Exodus. Uh, yeah, the Exodus script, I think is the 23rd chapter. <clears throat> God is about to bring Israel into the promised land, right? But you got people who already live there. The people who live there worship idols. They are wicked to the core. Look at what the word of God says. And I will set your border from Red Sea to the Sea of the Philistines and from the wilderness to the Euphrates. For I will give the inhabitants of the land into your hand and you shall drive them out before you. You shall not. I'm sorry. You shall make no covenant with them and their gods. Now watch this. They shall not dwell in your land lest they make you sin against me. For if you serve their gods, it will surely be a snare to you. Now, did you catch that last verse, what, what, what Moses just said through God? He says, you got to drive the Canaanites out of the land. Because if you don't, they're going to do what? Cause you to sin against me. The same thing Jesus said in Mark chapter 9 about being a stumbling block. What was God's solution in the Old Testament? Get rid of them. Avoid them. Stay away from them. Now, that's only if it's causing you to stumble. That's, that's, that's the key word there. Some of us may be able to handle a certain type of company and be straight. But we need to be honest with ourselves and know what our limits are. Some of us can't handle that and that's okay. If you can't handle it, it's time to avoid some folk. It's time to create some distance, some boundaries. My son said something deep the other day. He had no idea what I was preaching on. He loves to play Minecraft. I'm talking about Elijah. He loves to play Minecraft. And he has regular Minecraft, and he has another game called Minecraft Dungeons. So I came into the living room, and I'm like, man, you're not playing Minecraft Dungeons? He like, no, I went back to the older Minecraft. I'm like, why? This boy said, Minecraft Dungeons has been really, really difficult. And I don't want to keep getting frustrated, so I'm taking a break from Minecraft Dungeons. I said, son, do you know how wise that is, what you just said? I said, can I use that in my sermon on Sunday? He gave me permission to use it. Something in my son's mind said, if I keep playing dungeons, I'm going to grow greater in my frustration and I might lash out in anger. So let me just take a step back, create some distance from this game. And then when I'm ready, I can come back to it. That's all Jesus is asking us to do. Sometimes we got to create distance. 
Now, because I know our hearts are wicked, I got to put a disclaimer out here because I know what some of y'all might be thinking. I know what some of y'all might be thinking. You thinking about that relative that's just annoying. Got to create distance. That's the B said. You know, we got the people in our family or the relative friends, whatever. We, we just don't like them because they're, they're being them. So we like, oh, I got a right to avoid them now. That's not what the Bible's talking about. It's talking about people whose deliberate choice is to try to cause you to sin. Now, if you got a relative who's always poking you, they know who you are in Christ, and they just want to poke and try to get you to act in a way, then it's time to start avoiding some people. These are some of the solutions, even with our kids. Listen, I'm no parenting guru. Me and my wife always have regular conversations trying to figure out how we can recover from some of our parenting failures. All the time we had that talk. Either I come to her like, hey, Joey, I blew it today. <laughs> or she come to me, uh, this is one of them days. I'm no parenting guru, and neither is she. So I'm just giving advice based on how I see the scripture. I'm just saying maybe consider it and give it a try. When it comes to the things that we sit in front of our kids and we see them stumbling, might be a good idea to start saying no to some stuff. Maybe it's time to get rid of the social media accounts. Maybe it's time to change what you're watching on that TV. Because we say, oh, well, they're older. I don't see anything in the scripture say, but when you get older, you can just engage in all type of crap. Yeah. I, I, don't, I, don't, I don't see that. If you see it, you can come, come talk to me later, show me where it is. I just never seen it. My Bible tells me to eschew evil. When you're a child, eschew it, and when you get old, do the same thing. Don't set your kids up for failure. Again, I, sometimes I wonder, like, man, am I being too tight with it? And then something blessed me one day. I, I spoke at the Urban Apologetics Conference in March earlier, yeah, this year. And Dr. Eric Mason was there. And this is a brother I look up to, a pastor, urban church planner, apologist, a lot of the things we have like-minded interests. In his late 40s, elder in the faith. His brother said something. Somebody in the audience said, what do we do with our kids being on all these social media sites and hearing all this stuff? <laughs> and I'm like, dad, he about to get up here and tell me how strict I am. And I'm on the panel, right? So I'm like trying to hide my face like I don't know what this brother about to say. You know what that man said? He says, I don't let my kids watch that stuff. He got kids my age and he got teenagers. And he says, they not allowed when they under my roof. And what it did, it don't make it Bible. It don't make that man's opinion solid and stone. But what it shows me is that I ain't the only one thinking like this. There are other people who in this text who see it the way I see it. And maybe we got some tough decisions to make. Back to Mark chapter 9. I'm taking my time a little bit, y'all. This is an important, it's an important subject. Verse 43. And if your hand causes you to sin, cut it off. It is better for you to enter life crippled than with two hands go to hell to the unquenchable fire. And if your foot causes you to sin, cut it off. It is better for you to enter life lame than with two feet be thrown into, the he into hell. And if your eye causes you to sin, tear it out. It is better for you to enter the kingdom of God with one eye than with two eyes be thrown into hell. Where their worm does not die and a fire is not quenched. First he dealt with people who are outside of us making us sin, causing us to stumble, right? The people. Now he goes to within us. If your eye, if your foot, if your hand. Now he's not dealing with an outside distraction. He's talking about stuff that's within our control. Wow. Says your eye caused you to sin, tear it out, cut off your foot, cut off your hand. First point for my Bible study students. Jesus is not being literal, so I don't want nobody in here suing me. <laughs> He's not saying be violent towards yourself. Jesus is using a literary device called hyperbole. 
a, a hyperbolic statement is a purposeful exaggeration used to drive home a point. It's hot as the sun in here. It's not literally hot as the sun. If it was, we'd all be melting and disintegrating. I'm just trying to say it's real, real hot right now. Hyperbole. When Jesus says, cut off these limbs and pluck your eyes out, he doesn't mean that literally. What he's saying is, go to extreme and desperate measures to avoid sin. The consequence for not doing that, he says, it's better to go to the kingdom main than to go to hell whole. Now, why is he warning believers about hell? I'm going to leave you on the edge of your seat and answer that question at the end of the sermon. Because Jesus meant what he just said. He's trying to show us how serious this is, so he brings up the judgment. But let's do this before we get there. What are some of the areas of life where we, whether you're an adult or a teen or a child, if you believe in Christ, what are some areas that we can control that God may be calling us to take some extreme measures? Anybody ever watch a romance movie, a romance comedy? Y'all are terrified to raise y'all hand right now. You're like, nope, because I know he's going to say something. Made in Manhattan, you feel me? Love don't cost a thing. Brown sugar, you know, okay. We've all seen some pretty good romance comedies, man. Them jokers be funny sometimes, all right? They're not just for girls. I think some of them are funny. It's all good. Securing my manhood. <laughs> When you watch the movies, though, the guy always chases the girl, or vice versa, and in the end, they always get it right. You got the girl who's with the dude who treated her like a like like trash. Then you got, you know, uh, you know. Trying to think of somebody that, you know, some The Rock or somebody that most women like. Morris Chestnut. Morris Chestnut. <laughs> you know. <laughs> hey, you, who said that, Darlene? We're going to be real. Let's go. I like that realness. That's how you know she an 80s baby. She said Morris Chestnut in this book. But we got these. You got the, 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 the bum who's treating this girl a certain way, and then you got Morris Chestnut or who, The Rock or whoever it is, and they come along, it's Prince Charming, and they scoop the girl up, and they get married, and they live happily ever after. And we say, aw. And we get the warm and googlies inside, right? Now, everybody has Christian liberties. Right? God has given us liberty within the kingdom to do certain things. You don't have to be in church all day. Every, God did not create us to be in Bible study all day. He gave us a world to enjoy and to have fun in. Christian liberties, right? Some of you may be able to watch that movie and be fine. But for the person who's single and who's already yearning for a relationship, who's already consumed with wanting to get married. I go even a step further. The one who's unhappily married, who has this burning desire for their husband, for their wife to act like the dude or the woman in the movie, which is a fantasy world that don't exist. But I'm unhappy in my marriage, so I'm watching this romance comedy to escape from my marriage so I can dream about being with who I'm seeing on the TV screen, which is doing nothing but creating a greater distance from me and the person I'm with. For you, if that's your struggle, 
may not be a good idea to keep watching them kind of movies. Like, like for real, like if you're already in a rough, shaky situation, and then you got the most attractive woman on the screen, the most attractive man, and they're doing everything you would like for your significant other to do, you can escape to a fantasy world and make matters worse at home. Back to my single people. <laughs> I like a good old slow jam. Like I, I love a good slow jam. My father would have 70s music playing in the car and stuff like that, so I always had that old soul, old soul, you know, soul for R&B. Grew up in the 80s and 90s, always loved 90s R&B. I think it's the best decade of music of any genre, the 90s. Christian liberties, right? Some of us may be cool with that. But if I'm single, and again, I'm always thinking about when I'm going to be with somebody, and I got Usher constantly singing in my ear about it. <laughs> Usher singing his behind off in my ear. Maybe that's going to inflame this burning desire that I have, and now I'm going to grow less faithful towards God because I don't really believe that it'll ever happen. And now I'm growing less and less content with being single because I'm constantly listening to songs about being with somebody. This is oftentimes why you will listen to it and probably feel worse later. You feel more miserable. We be, listen, we be single, right? You know, I was single before. We be single listening to breakup songs and we ain't got nobody. We ain't got nobody to break up with. And we listening to breakup songs making ourselves sad. <laughs> I've been single. I know the struggle. If your right hand causes you to stumble, cut it off. How far are we willing to go? If you are a hyper spender, you always at the mall. You love to spend money. Your happiest day of the week is every other Friday. Because that's payday. You don't even wait till you wake up in the morning. You stay up till 12 a.m. And you got a 24-hour watch on that Fifth Third account just to make sure they got your time and a half right and they ain't short you on them hours. You want to see. You know the money coming, but you want to see it. <laughs> now, I ain't talking about when you broke and you just trying to make sure you got enough money to pay them bills. I'm talking about when you already got it but you just love it so much, you just can't wait to see it come in. And the reason you can't wait to see it come in is because you can't wait to do what you're going to do with it, which is normally spend it on self. James chapter 1 says, we have not because we ask not, and when we ask, we ask with the wrong motive so that we would spend it on our selfish pleasures. It's James chapter 1. If you just love to spend money, can't walk through the store without buying something that you don't need. If you can't help but just be on Amazon all day, spending, spending, spending. Perhaps it's time for you to make some changes. Maybe you should get rid of the credit cards. So I can't handle these. They're, they're making me commit idolatry. I, I got to get rid of it. Or maybe, maybe you're an individual, especially if you're married. Go to the bank. Say, I don't want access to a debit card no more. Which means that whenever I need money, I have to come in and do a cash withdrawal. You got to do something to limit your access to keep you from stumbling. 
See, we have a responsibility to resist. Don't believe that we don't have the right to make resisting easier. <laughs> That's what this text is about. He knows we're going to sin. He said, look, there's ways to avoid this. Make it easier on yourself. Maybe it's time to get rid of those cards and all that good stuff. For some of us, might be time to get rid of the cell phone. You know you can go to the store right now and you can downgrade your smartphone for a good old Motorola Flip. You can still do that. They still got them, believe it or not. Why would anybody have a need to do that? Well, if you're a type of individual who will spend your whole day doing this, hours, and you become unproductive, nothing ever gets done, never accomplish any goals, never do the things that God is calling you to do because we're, all, we're too consumed by this, then maybe, you know what, let me take a season of downgrading where I got bare minimum on this phone, just for a season, until I'm healthier to be able to handle it. Because understand, all these stumbling blocks I'm mentioning, they're a sign of unhealth. We're hiding from something. Something is hurting us. So we spend. So we buy things. So we watch things. So we listen to things. Because we're trying to escape pain. Maybe it's time to take a break. For some of us, look, we got to delete the social media account. Might be time to deactivate that bad boy altogether. Why would anybody have a need to do that? If, if I can't handle being on Facebook or IG without comparing myself to other people or being envious of what they have or pretend to have, it might be time to delete it for a season. Here's another one. And this one, y'all, this one stung me. Because I know I've done it before. We have our social media accounts, right? And because we see everybody else happy, we want to fit in with that. So we constantly post stuff on our account to create the illusion that we're happier than we really are. I've done that. Here, here's, here's what we'll do. We'll post a picture of us and our spouse, our boyfriend, our girlfriend. You know. And then we got the cheesy caption. Me and my boo. My ride or die. We this, we that. And it looked like this big happy picture that everybody can see. But what the world doesn't know is that five minutes before that picture was posted, y'all was yelling, cussing, fussing, saying how you can't stand each other. But I want everybody else to think this. Now here's why it's hard for us to receive that. Because the things in the examples that I just gave, I've been using modern terms to define what it is. I'm using words like mistakes and posting selfies. But if these things were happening in Bible days, there, were, there are specific terms that would be used to describe them. Being on social media and being envious of what everybody else has, that's called coveting. Moses said, do not covet your neighbor's wife, house, neighbors, or anything else of his. It's called coveting. Pretending like everything's good and sweet when it's really not. Paul in Ephesians 4 calls it putting away falsehood. Lying is what we're doing. One thing I stopped doing, and again, this is just, I'm not putting this on nobody else. This is something that I did. I got off social media, off Facebook. I, I took like a three-month 
period, three or four month period off of it for just total non-random reasons. I just felt like it was a negative space and I was tired of reading all the negativity, so I got off of it, right? Then I had issues with my account and it was making it harder for me to get back on Facebook. Then I created an Instagram account. Now I've been married 11 years. So that means that when I, got, when I first got married, I was in my mid-20s. Totally different person than who I am now. I was a boy who just got married. I'm a grown man now. I see things totally different now than I did then. Then, when I first got married, I felt the need to post everything me and my wife was always doing. Now, was it a part of that that just wanted to show off my wife and I was happy to be with her? Sure. But there was a bigger part of me that just wanted to be affirmed by y'all out in the world. So I need, every, I need everybody to know that me and Jody are good. I want y'all to know that our relationship is great, so let me constantly post about it. Now I'm 30, how old am I, 37? We're 37, right, Jody? 37. That wasn't scripted. I really be getting confused. I'm 37 now. And I'm on Instagram. And I made some, 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 some eye-plucking decisions. I said, I'm not making no family posts, no post of my wife, unless I know it's coming 100% from a genuine place. If it's not coming out of the overflow of my love for my wife, or the overflow of the love I have for my children, I'm not going to post it. I'm not going to sit here and feel like I got to prove to everybody else that me and my wife have a great relationship. I know we got a great relationship. She know we got a great relationship. Don't matter what everybody I don't even know out there are thinking. So I just stopped posting about it. Y'all look at my IG account. That joint is bare. Boring is what? Because I'm like, I'm not going to keep posting. I don't feel like I have to prove nothing to nobody. So I'm only going to post when I'm just overcome with gratitude towards my family. Then I might make a post. So if you see me posting in there, you know I'm overcome with love for what God has blessed me with. Sometimes we got to pluck our eyes out. I can go on and on and on. We're addicted to food. Might be time to delete DoorDash. I'm serious. I'm just talking. Look, half this stuff is my own story, y'all. <laughs> like we have things that just grip us and cause us to sin, and we just keep trying to overcome by just saying, "I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to do it." Sometimes Jesus is like, "You got to just get rid of whatever it is that's leading to this behavior, even if it's for a season." A couple more points. We about. Verse 49. For everyone will be salted with fire. Salt is good. But if the salt has lost its saltiness, how will you make it salty again? Have salt in yourselves and be at peace with one another. Earlier we talked about hell. And why Jesus is trying to tell this to a bunch of disciples. Here's why. He said, everyone will be salted with fire. He's talking about believers. What that means is, the fire represents the purification that God allows believers to go through. A season of testing. A season of what theologians sometimes call the wilderness. And in that wilderness season, God is trying to burn off fleshliness. So that what remains is godly character that represents the salt. That's why Jesus tells the disciples, you are the salt of the earth. He's saying these godly characteristics should be in the disciples. But he has to test it with fire so that when all the impurities are burned away, the godly characteristics will stand. Right? But then he says, if something loses its saltiness, how will you make it salty again? When you do a historical background of this text, it talks about the Dead Sea that was in the region in which Jesus lived. And the Dead Sea had a lot of salt in it, but it was mixed with a lot of impurities. So what would happen is the impurities 
would cause the salt to not taste salty. But watch this. It'll still look like salt. So you won't necessarily be able to tell it ain't pure salt by looking at it. You can only tell by the impurities underneath that eventually come out. What Jesus is telling his disciples here is that if you are pure salt, you're going to apply everything I just talked about in the past previous verses. You're going to live a life of repentance. But if you don't, then impurities are going to come out. And it's not that you will lose your salvation. You will just expose that you did not have it. That's why he asked the, the rhetorical question, how can salt that's lost its saltiness get salty again? His implication is it can't. <laughs> so that's the person who's saying they belong to Christ and they fall away. He's like, they're not about to come back in most cases. They've showed themselves to be impure. But those who believe in Christ, we're going to stumble and fall. The question is, are we repenting? Are we plucking our eyes? Are we taking desperate and extreme measures to live the way God's standard requires of us? I'll leave you with this. Everybody turn to Hebrews 4. These messages can be tough because we spent a lot of time talking about how much work we got to do on ourselves. And you may be feeling totally overwhelmed. How in the world am I going to avoid these friends? How in the world am I going to resist? How in the world am I going to parent these children? How in the world am I going to do this? Am I going to do that? Here's what you need to understand. Hebrews, the fourth chapter, verse 14. Since then, we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the son of God. Let us hold fast our confession for we do not watch this. We do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weakness but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace, that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in the time of need. He says, when Jesus took on flesh, he went through the same temptations that we experience now, yet without sin. Therefore, when he sees us wrestling with these things, the Bible says he can sympathize with it. Y'all know what that means? He understands how it is. What's the solution? He says, therefore, let us come to his throne with confidence. Oh, my God. Not with fear, not with anxiety, not with shame. He said, let us come before his throne with boldness so that he will give us help to make it through our struggles and temptation. Jesus in Mark 9 is not dealing with the struggling believer who's pursuing God's standard. He's dealing with the believer who then got lazy with the fight. Let me explain. In Luke chapter 19, there's a parable. Luke chapter 18, it's called the parable of the tax collector and the Pharisee. And it says the tax collector and the Pharisee both went to the place of prayer. And it says the Pharisee was praying, God, I thank you that I'm not like these sinners. I thank you that I'm not like this tax collector over here. Then he says, I fast twice a week. I pay my tithes. God, I thank you that I'm not like him. Then it says that the tax collector, had his face down, for he was afraid to look at God. And he says, God, be beating his chest, he said, God, have mercy on me. I am a sinner. Jesus says, I tell you, the one who was humble went away from that situation justified. Yeah. Then he says, he who humbles himself will be exalted. Yeah. 
He who exalts himself will be humble. God wants us to be like the humble, penitent tax collector who went before his throne with boldness and said, God, I'm not worthy to be in your presence. Can you give me another shot at this? And because he's the great high priest that sympathizes with our weakness, he invites us back in the right relationship and he empowers us to live the life he wants us to live. Let's pray. Father, your word exposed us today. You said the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing the soul, dividing between bone and marrow, exposing the intentions of the heart, and that's what it does. God, now that we've been convicted and rebuked by your word, now we want to come before your throne of grace with boldness, confidence, that you would help us. We don't know how to parent biblically. We don't know how to resist temptation biblically. We don't know how to choose friends wisely. We don't know how to make sacrifices that's causing us to sin. We don't know how to walk in that tight balance of Christian liberty and Christian foolishness. God, we need help. Bring scripture to our remembrance that will teach us what to do. Help us by your spirit to apply the words that we read. We want to do better, but we need your spirit to help us. Father, I pray for the congregation, everybody gathered under the sound of my voice, that you would empower them. That they would not tarry, but beginning today, you would begin to deal with them on decisions that need to be made. Household decisions. I pray for clarity and unity in the household. I pray for mother and father to be on the same page. I pray for all my single people. God, meet them right now. Tell them what they need to do. Tell them if there's anything that is causing them to stumble that they need to lay down. Give them a willingness to do it, even if it's just for a season. God, I pray for our youth, our teens, and our young children. Help them to apply Proverbs 1 to not consent when sinners entice them. Help them not to be swept away by the ways of this world and all the garbage that they have to see constantly on screens, in schools. God, you know it all. Help them to resist. Help them to walk out their faith, even as children. Help our church to maintain a humble disposition towards you and towards others. The word said, take heed lest you fall. The word said, let us not think too highly of ourselves. Help us to always remember what you brought us from and how we still need you now to not slip. And we'll be mindful to give your name all the praise, all the honor, and all the glory. In Jesus' name. Amen, amen, amen.